Welcome to Texas Ag Today, a daily look at the latest news in Texas agriculture. Texas Ag Today is produced by the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network with the largest farm news team in the Lone Star State. Now here's the host of Texas Ag Today, Carrie Martin. Hello, Texas. Thanks so much for joining us once again for Texas Ag Today. Well, the Texas wheat harvest is moving forward. In fact, we're past the halfway mark right now. But we've known all year long this wasn't going to be a very good wheat crop, and the numbers seem to point that out. We'll have more on that coming up in today's show. Plus, did you know that WOTUS is rearing its ugly head once again? Yeah, we thought we had put that issue to bed, but it's coming right back. We'll go to Washington for the details. I'm your host, Kerry Martin, along with the largest and most experienced farm news team in the Lone Star State. And we're all standing by to bring you the latest news in Texas agriculture. From the Piney Woods of East Texas to the Rocky Ranges of the Transpecos. And from the Panhandle down to the Rio Grande Valley. The U.S. Senate Agriculture Committee held a hearing this week on cattle market manipulation. I'm Tom Nicoletti and I'll have the story on Texas Ag Today. The wheat harvest is underway in the Texas Panhandle. I'm James Hunt and I'll bring you an early look at the crop's outcome here on Texas Ag Today. This is Jim Hearn in the Rio Grande Valley. Extreme South Texas has turned hot once again and the tropics are getting active. Those stories and more in today's report. We'll have those stories plus news from Washington, Texas wildlife news, and a complete look at the markets all coming up. Winter wheat harvest is now past the halfway mark here in Texas with the latest Texas Crop Progress and Condition Report showing wheat harvest at 58%. That's about 10 percentage points behind the five-year average pace. And of course, that's thanks to all the rain delays we experienced in May. Darby Campsey with Texas Wheat Producers says the spring weather has affected disease pressure in this year's crop. We actually were benefited a little bit in central Texas because they were dealing with some stripe and leaf rust and the cool wet weather helped stop that from spreading too much more um, these past couple of weeks. Um, But we are starting to see some reports about some smut um, in the rolling plains and then in the high plains where moisture has not been an issue except for the fact that there hasn't been enough up until recently. um, We are seeing some wheat streak mosaic virus and that is going to originate from the wheat curl mite. Campsey says many wheat growers plant curl mite resistant varieties to help prevent wheat streak mosaic virus. Now we've known all year long that this is not the best wheat crop we've ever produced here in Texas. And as harvest progresses, the crop condition ratings show that. Here's the latest condition numbers. 4% of the Texas wheat crop is rated excellent, 20% rated good, 44% rated fair, and 32% of the wheat crop, one-third of it rated in the poor to very poor categories. The issue of cattle market transparency took center stage in Washington recently, with the Senate Agriculture Committee holding a hearing on the problem. Tom Nicoletti takes a look at some of the testimony. The Senate Agriculture Committee held a hearing to examine markets, 
transparency, and prices from cattle producers to consumers. Various stakeholders provided testimony to the Ag Committee to shed light on concerns about cattle market manipulation and examine possible ways to improve the situation for producers. Justin Tupper is vice president of the United States Cattlemen's Association. He is a cattle producer and a livestock auction manager in South Dakota. This hearing is critical because there is a crisis in rural America. We are losing our producers at an alarming rate, all the while watching big corporate feeders, packers make record profits with the threat of vertical integration hanging over our head. I think the real key that doesn't get looked at or analyzed is is that the market power that the big four packers has dictates and controls the profitability through the whole sector. Most ranchers who sell their calves at weaning time are selling those calves for less than $1,000 a head. That's somewhere near $100 head profit after all input costs and amounts to less than a 1% return on investment. An incredible risky business. For those who raise and sell all the way to fat cattle, calving to finish, a finished steer is worth somewhere around $1,600 a head today. Packers could buy that steer, process it, and sell it for beef alone, not counting byproducts, for over $2,800 a head today for a gross margin profit of over 80%. Since 2015, corporate packers' gross margin has ballooned from an average of $100 to $200 a head to well over $1,000 a head. Packers have enjoyed unbelievable profits, harvesting around 120,000 head per day, while cattle producers go out of business and consumers pay double or even triple at the meat counter. Dr. Glenn Tonzer is a professor in the Department of Agricultural Economics at Kansas State University. Perhaps no relationship is currently more relevant than the relationship of fed cattle inventories to processor capacity. The U.S. meat industry sells products into three main market channels, domestic retail, domestic food service, and export markets. The industry maximizes overall revenue by producing, processing, and marketing distinct products for these market channels that value them most. This results in higher overall carcass and livestock values. One of the most drastic shocks from the pandemic was extraordinary disruption in the relative demand across these three market channels. I encourage the industry to proceed forward in a manner that does not deteriorate economic benefits of the industry's evolution to improve beef quality. All revenue available to industry participants ultimately originates with consumers. Hence, aligning industry efforts with consumer demand is truly essential. I'm Tom Nicoletti with the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The wheat harvest is underway in the Texas panhandle. James Hunt gives us an early look at the crop's outcome. Texas A&M AgriLife agronomist Jordan Bell says harvest in our area has just begun, so there's not a lot of grain production data available along the lines of bushels per acre, but she did have some numbers to share from AgriLife's own fields. We have started combining some of our wheat plots and it's really exciting to see that we had a yield come in right in the 90 bushel range at our Bushland Research Farm. As those plots were starting to be combined, of course, those are under irrigated conditions. Whereas we look at our dry land plots at the research farm, we're probably looking at yields that are closer to 20 bushels. So that really does show the extreme. And as we consider the impact of that weather and looking at those lower yields, we can definitely see that irrigation was critical to make those upper end grain yields this year. The dry conditions that prevailed throughout most of the growing season in our area have been a concern all along for dryland wheat. However, in an area as diverse as the Panhandle, there are almost always some happy exceptions. 
We have very good yield potential, though, as we get east of Amarillo. And I do know that producers over in that area are anticipating some dry land yields in the 40 to 50 bushel range, which is a really good dry land yield for this region. And so it'll be exciting to see the results as they learn how those yields actually come out because some of those yields do look very, very good. Dr. Bell says the cool, wet conditions we saw in May provided an extended grain fill period for local wheat, which is good news. She also notes, however, a lot of area fields that might have produced grain were instead chopped for silage as forage prices remain strong. I'm James Hunt on the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. Extreme South Texas has turned hot once again and the tropics are getting active. Jim Hearn has those stories and more from the Rio Grande Valley. The heavy rains from mid-May through June 1st left many areas of the valley with 8 to 12 inches of rain. That may be more important, 12 to 16 inches of rain fell over the watershed at Falcon Reservoir. Now, with all the rain, it's been years since I've seen the ranch country with buffalo grass higher than a cow's belly and so lush and green. Now the watermelon and onion harvest are now moving out of the valley. A promising onion crop was left in the mud to ruin, and watermelons, well, left in the field because of the labor shortage to pick them. Valley row crops enjoyed all the rain. Cotton, corn, milo, all had water standing in the rows, but it's now disappeared. Sorghum is turning red. The harvest is just around the corner. Now, we have cotton in all stages of growth. Many fields are knee-high or better and starting to load up. Corn is also harvesting. Corn will also be harvested soon, and the hot weather will help drive that moisture down. The tropical season has started with a rush of activity. One system moving over the cold waters of the North Atlantic, another coming off the coast of Africa. But the most interesting to Texas is a system that has been moving north along the Mexican coastline. Well, that could make it all the way to Louisiana. These systems, of course, have the potential for very heavy rain. Although many areas in South Texas have gotten good rains recently, burn bans are still in effect for much of South Texas. This is Jim Hearn reporting from the Rio Grande Valley for Texas Ag Today. The Environmental Protection Agency and Army Corps of Engineers has announced its intent to repeal and replace the Navigable Waters Protection Rule. Michael Clements has more from Washington. The American Farm Bureau Federation calls the intent to rewrite the Navigable Waters Protection Rule a blow to agriculture. Don Parrish, AFBF Senior Director of Regulatory Relations, says the focus of the rewrite is concerning. There's a little bit of confusion about exactly what EPA is proposing here, but they are definitely saying that they are going to repeal and replace. They're focused on ephemeral features and adjacent wetlands. What they're going to do is probably take a significant step back from the clarity that the Navigable Waters Protection Rule provides. Parrish says the concern is returning to burdensome and unclear regulations. When you start talking about ephemeral features, features that are ditches or even less than ditches, they only have water in them when it rains, all of a sudden you're really kind of glossing over the fact that you're regulating land use as opposed to water. If that's their target, the whole issue of where water ends and land begins, there's a real question mark on the landscape. 
and it's going to create all kinds of issues. Barish adds the issue is whether the rule protects water or regulates land use. I don't know where this is going, but it is clearly going to be a really detailed and a really significant fight. And I need farmers and ranchers to understand that this is not a fight about protecting water quality because the Navigable Waters Protection Rule does that. This is a fight over land use. Learn more at fb.org issues. From Washington, I'm Michael Clements for Texas Ag Today. The state has changed its testing requirements for deer breeders. I'm Jessica Domel and I'll have details coming up on Texas Ag Today. And some horses develop behavior problems if they have to be stalled for any length of time. Texas veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd has more on that coming up next, right here on Texas Ag Today. After my first car accident, I feared the biggest damage would be to my wallet. I expected a mountain of bills and a long, drawn-out process. But my Texas Farm Bureau insurance agent was there when I needed her and helped me get back on my feet and in my car in no time. Instead of a hassle, I got reassurance and a quick recovery. Visit Texas Farm Bureau Insurance today at tfbinsurance.com to find an agent who's there when you need them most. Coverage and discounts are subject to qualifications and policy terms and may vary by situation. We're keeping you informed on everything happening in Texas agriculture on Texas Ag Today. Some horses develop behavior problems if they have to be stalled for any length of time, but there's a human drug that can help with the problem. Veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd explains. Fluoxetine is commonly used in humans and dogs for anxiety-related conditions, and you may be more familiar with the drug under the original trade name of Prozac. The drug is now available in generic form and actually FDA-approved in dogs for treatment of behavioral conditions, and it has been used in horses also. There are two main areas that cause anxiety in horses, and one is when they are stalled or confined due to an injury, and the other is when anxiety causes undesirable performance behaviors. Horses were divided into two groups, and both of those with confinement issues and those with behavioral performance issues were given the drug once daily. A questionnaire was sent out to owners of the horses asking to take a survey of the response, and 70% of the owners believed the drug was effective at decreasing undesirable behavior. Overall, the horse owners felt the drug was safe, and so fluoxetine may be an effective drug for use in horses that must be confined for an injury to decrease anxiety. However, using an anti-anxiety behavioral drug for performance is a concern. Using the drug to decrease anxiety in a stall and maybe prevent the horse from hurting itself or humans is certainly reasonable. However, using the drug to increase performance seems to be potentially unethical, as this drug is banned by the USEF, but lots of events are not under USEF guidelines. Using fluoxetine for a medical condition to benefit the horse's health is reasonable, but using any drug to increase performance is unethical and may allow a less trained horse to compete with better trained horses. I'm veterinarian Dr. Bob Judd. This is the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network. The state has changed its testing requirements for deer breeders. Jessica Domel has the details in today's wildlife report. 
Some Texas deer breeders will now be required to step up their testing for the deadly chronic wasting disease. On Tuesday, the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department issued an emergency order with the new testing requirements for breeding sites that are associated with facilities where there's been a positive CWD test. John Solofsky, Wildlife Division Director for the Texas Parks and Wildlife Department, says the additional testing is needed to improve traceability of susceptible animals. Well, there's various testing requirements already in place for all breeding facilities, but this emergency rule enhances those testing requirements. An example being mortality testing requirements prior to the emergency rule required that the facilities test 80% of their mortalities in the pen. So with this new emergency rule, they will have to test 100% of their mortalities. Also, previously, there was not any testing requirements for a breeding facility to transfer deer to a release site. With this emergency rule, anybody that's movement qualified that desires to move or transfer deer from their breeding facility to a release site will have to live test those deer before they can be moved. The emergency order also halts the movement of susceptible cervids like deer, elk, and moose from facilities that have had a CWD positive case or are linked to one of those facilities. An animal may have CWD for years before showing any symptoms, all the while spreading prions that can infect other susceptible animals, ultimately leading to their death. This year so far, there have been 14 cases in Texas. For the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network, I'm Jessica Dolmel. It was a pretty good week for the cattle market with prices closing higher just about all week. So how did things wrap up on Friday? Jessica will be back with a complete look at the markets coming up next. Keep it right here on Texas Ag Today. Did you know that one out of every three mouthfuls of food we eat is produced by insect pollination, most of which is done by bees? In fact, bees are vitally important to food production. That's why modern agriculture is working with beekeepers to promote bee health. Ensuring a sustainable food supply requires each of us to play our part in preserving the land and protecting pollinators. This public service announcement is brought to you by Syngenta. We're giving you the market information you need on Texas Ag Today. Lower corn and wheat prices provided some support to cattle futures on Friday. Live cattle for August up 17 cents to 122.80. Live cattle for October up 12 cents to 128.40. Feeder cattle for August up $2.40 to 159.55. September feeder cattle up $2.05 to 161.25. October feeder cattle up $1.60 to $162.70. Now let's check those livestock auctions. We're walking the pens with Larry Marble. When you hear old auctioneer Troy selling that calf, it's time to talk to Carl Herman from Caldwell Livestock Commission Company, Caldwell, Texas, of course. Carl, how'd you sell calves and cattle? Had uh, right at 700 head for 104 consigners and 45 buyers on a, a strong cow market and calf market. We had 150 cows and bulls, slaughter cows 35 to 74, slaughter bulls 75 to 101, stocker cows 600 to 11.25, and the pairs brought eight and a quarter to 13.25. Uh, on the calf side, the steers, two to three weights, 171 to 187, three to four weights. 
165 to 195. Four to five weights, 163 to 197. Five to six weight steers brought 152 to 172. Six to seven weights, 135 to 154. Seven to eight weights, 131 to 145. Lots of $900,000 steers in the mix yesterday. Uh, heifers, two to three weights, 151 to 160. Three to four weights, 141 to 157. Four to five weight heifers brought 142 to 164. Five to six weights, 140 to 160. Six to seven weights, 130 to 140. And the seven to eight weight heifers, 115 to 122. Overall, we had a good day, uh, had a good turnout. We, uh, uh, had about three inches of rain Monday night, which, uh, canceled some stuff for us picking up on Tuesday. But, uh, it worked out and, uh, we'll get those cattle this week. We look forward to another good sale next week. Remind people about uh, any 4th of July closures that you might have? We don't have any. The way the 4th is, it's falling on Sunday, so we're going to have a sale next week and the following Wednesday. Carl, tell everybody how to contact you. Okay. My number is 979-820-5349. Call Laborn, 567-4119. Or if you're in the Giddings and surrounding area, call Max Ebner at 540-8676. Carl Herman, thank you so much. Neighbor, I'm Larry Marble. I've been your host for this edition of Walking the Pen. All right. Thank you, Larry. Cotton futures posted double-digit gains Friday, but volume was moving slowly. It seems that traders are a bit hesitant as we await the U.S. Department of Agriculture's acreage report, which is due out next week. October cotton up 51 points to 88.04, December cotton up 45 points to 87.18. And as we've mentioned a few times, corn was down Friday. Corn for July down 16 and three quarters to 6.36 and a half. Corn for September down 19 to 5.30 and a quarter. Corn for December down 16 and three quarters to 5.19 and a quarter. Wheat futures also fell on Friday. Hard red wheat for September down five and a half to 6.09. Hard red wheat for July down five and three quarters to 600 and a quarter. Natural gas for July up six cents to 3.48. Natural gas for August up seven cents to 3.51. Crude oil for August up 62 cents to 73.92 a barrel. Crude oil for September up 57 cents to 73.20 a barrel. Now let's stroll on down to the financial markets, see what's happening there. On Friday, the Dow up 281 points to 34,477. The S&P 500 up 17 points to 4,283. The Nasdaq up 6 points at 14,376. Well, that wraps up our look at the markets, and that wraps up this edition of Texas Ag Today. We thank you for listening, and we hope you catch us next time on the next edition of Texas Ag Today. I'm Jessica Dolmel, and I hope to see you then. Thanks for listening to Texas Ag Today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify. For more Texas Ag news and information, check out our website, at texasfarmbureau.org or tfbradio.com. Texas Ag Today is a production of the Texas Farm Bureau Radio Network.